Hey everyone, I want to do a little history lesson today. So yesterday I was with someone and he said to me, oh, I know you've been teaching yoga for a long time. What, um, hold on, how did he say it? He said, how might someone get involved? He said, do you still practice? And no, he said, do you still do yoga? And if someone wanted to get involved more with it, with teaching or doing it, what would you suggest? I stopped. I have so much to say on this topic, and I don't think he realized like what he was walking into. <laughs> Poor guy. Okay. Here's how I responded. It's complicated. There's a lot I want to say here. We need to go back. And the history lesson I'm going to give is not the whole picture. It's not like this is one of the cases where there's going to be multiple truths. So in this multiple truth scenario, there's my dog. We have to go back to the height of modern Western yoga, which is what we call now with things like um, the big studios and or the larger classes, right? So we've got, we've got like modern Western yoga is kind of what I think most people, I think that's what he was talking about when he asked me about my own studies, practice, and teaching. So we're going back. To my, as, as my teacher, one of my teachers, Eric Schiffman, used to always say, to my current level of ignorance, yoga is, let's just be clear and lay the foundation that yoga to yoke, to be in union, is a spiritual practice around connection to union with the divine. Okay. So that's, this is one sort of like, we're making, we're, we're making this statement when we're talking about yoga. Number two, yoga began as a relationship between teacher and student one-on-one, right? Here, I'm the teacher. This is what I'm seeing in your life. This is what I'm seeing in your body. This is what I'm seeing in your spiritual practice. This is what I'm seeing in your mind, in your physical health. Here are some postures some shapes. Here are some breathing practices. Here are some meditation practices to help you be more in balance and in harmony so that you can be in union with the divine. Okay. So that's the history what it is, you know, this is the like mini version, what it is, where it comes from and how it was in the creation of the text and the teachings, how it was meant to be transmuted or trans in transmission is in this dynamic, regular, consistent relationship with teacher and student or guru and student. When the practice came here, as the practices began to come here, as the yoga alliance was formed and a lot of the og teachers 
who became teachers because they studied with a teacher and the teacher then needed a sub or then said to them, oh, you're ready to teach. You have really transformed your lifestyle to be in union with the divine and harmony in this way, in food, in sleep, in ritual, in herbs, in sort of the entire entire lifestyle has transformed. Now I'm your teacher. I see that you are growing into the teacher and now I grant you that permission. That's like how it went. And when we, when the Yoga Alliance formed here in North America, in the United States, um, it began this process of certifying. It began this kind of arbitrary process of saying 200 hours will grant you, and this pay will grant you this label of RYT, registered yoga teacher, if you go through an approved school who has this 200 hour training. Now take a minute and kind of think about that. That pivotal moment of deciding to have certifications, of deciding to put hours and dollars onto the becoming of the teacher is very misaligned with a practice of divinity and union and lifestyle that is in dynamic one-on-one or very small group relationship. And, you know, this is controversial because many teachers who had not been, who are not RYTs, but had been teaching and living a yogic life, um, uh, you know, this was back in the day in like late nineties in, you know, eighties and nineties, as this was all happening into the early two thousands, pause one second. Okay. So you can start to see here how some of these pieces are complicated. We've got teachers who are not approved or certified or RYT who've been part of these lineages and in these relationships for a long time. We now have this certifying body called the Yoga Alliance that is having studio, you know, studios are forming and creating trainings and people are signing up for them and they're quite expensive, especially, you know, I know that that's changed, but typically anywhere between like $3,000 and $10,000, my training was $3,000, Bikram was $10,000. So we're talking about thousands of dollars. We're also talking about, um, you know, 30 plus people to 30, who know there's such a wide range, but let's say 30 plus people in a teacher training and you can just sign up. There's no prerequisites or there's no path to it. There's no lifestyle habits. There's no, like that part is not accountable. It's not in the sequencing of the 200 hours per se. Some of them do, everybody kind of varied. But my point is that you could, like when I did my yoga teacher training in 2006, I had been practicing since maybe I did it in 2005. I can't remember, but I had been practicing for a few years. I started, um, the first year that I was teaching in DC public schools, which was 2001, 9-11 was like the fifth day of school and started practicing that year. And then a few short years later was like, I want to advance my studies. And the only option felt like it was teacher training. 
Um, and that's what was being offered. So I said to them, I don't know that I'm ready to be a teacher, but I'm ready to learn more. And they're, oh, you're fine. You're fine. You know, pay, you're fine. You can do it. And I remember feeling frustrated at the syllabus and I felt frustrated at the lack of integrity. I felt frustrated at the lack of anatomy. I felt, um, and I would, I would communicate these things because I'm a questioner and the people in my group were so lovely and wonderful and say, Pleasance, just take it down. You can always keep studying. You know, this is just the beginning. So we've see how this is all kind of moving along. Studios are growing and the numbers are growing. And now you have a person like myself um, interested in yoga, mainly, you know, when I got into it, it was because of physical health issues. I had um, a horrible hip that was really hurting me. It was stress related. I couldn't work out. And I called uh, spiral flight, Kristen and shout out to Kristen and said, help. Um, I I've heard yoga will be good for me, but I don't want anything spiritual. And she said, okay, we'll try this Ashtanga class with Devin. Devin turned out to be my teacher for many years. I fell in love with Ashtanga. I fell in love with the meditative aspects that came after the physical practice. I love the routine of it. It was uh Beryl Bender Birch was Devin's teacher. And so Beryl came and, oh man, it was just like, felt like such a good fit for me at the time. But I did go into it saying, I don't want anything spiritual. I just want something physical. Okay. So now we have teachers like myself who were practitioners wanting to learn more, paying a lot of money, getting a training that felt, uh, there were great parts and there were not so great parts like anything. Right. And, um, and then being in, in the teacher's role with, let's say 20 or 30 students at a time, right? Remember the roots, one to one, one to two, transmission, what's going on with all of the parts of your life, not just your physical body. The height of it all, the way that it became so far from the essential nature, of the union with the divine is part of what eventually has led me away from considering myself a yoga teacher. Now, let's talk a little bit about Ayurveda. As I was um, running a yoga center for many years um, and learning more about Ayurveda, I realized what are we doing? What am I doing here teaching this yoga stuff without using Ayurveda in the classes, because Ayurveda is the overarching system from which yoga is part of. It's part of the rhythm and the lifestyle. And you use Ayurvedic wisdom to inform your yoga practice, your physical practice, because from an Ayurvedic perspective, the elements and where you are and where you're in balance and out of balance uh, deeply impacts how you, it really sets up like how, how your practice, um, is going to be most beneficial for you that day to bring you more into harmony and alignment with where you're at. If you have a Vata imbalance, which is a, the air mind, and that looks like anxiety, fear, overwhelm, too much movement, 
then your yoga practice, your physical practice, your shape practice will be very grounding. You should be laying on the floor, breathing deeply, laying on your belly, touching the earth with your feet or your hands or your chest, right? You're balancing what you're experiencing with what your practice looks like. So if the wisdom of Ayurveda is there to support our yoga practice, what are we doing on the mat if we don't use that wisdom? That's like my big question. That, that became a question that I couldn't stop thinking about. And I could no longer be in integrity with talking about yoga without talking about Ayurveda. Okay. So, um, towards the end of little, um, when we closed the studio for a few years, I ran a yoga and Ayurveda for women. And this was such a gift because I was able to really bring in and weave in the Ayurvedic teachings into a yoga space with people who'd been practicing yoga for a while or new, you know, there was a lot of different women who would come to those courses and it was a really, really, really beautiful experience. And I felt in deep alignment and integrity because I could say yoga, but I could say it with Ayurveda. Eventually I switched it over to Ayurveda for women. And I think because Ayurveda does not have the same recognition that yoga does, um, people became less interested because it didn't have the yoga aspect. And this is one of the things I've kind of been harping on for the past few years is like, I love working out. I love running. I love spinning. I love, I like, I love biking. I love all working out stuff. I love it. But fitness is not yoga and yoga is not working out, right? It's working in, as we say, like it's an inside job. It's the, again, connection to the divine. <laughs> um, you know, sun salutes are prostrations. Like their prayer. So what I, what my rant is about is that places that have call themselves yoga studios or yoga classes are really yoga inspired fitness classes, which is fine. If we say we're inspired by it, then we can do up dog, down dog, warrior one, warrior two. But to say that it's yoga and to never talk about the divine, to say that it's yoga and to never talk about the elements of our body, mind, soul, spirit, to say that it's yoga and not have deep reverence for the wider system, to say that it's yoga and not and, and to do it in a room that has 50 people or 60 people or 100 people and to not have a relationship with your teacher feels really out of alignment. So the whole idea that right now, so when this guy asked me about my yoga practice, what he's talking about is warrior one, warrior two, standing on your head, like all of that kind of stuff that we see as yoga. But for me, my head fills with all of this other stuff and is why I don't say that I teach yoga anymore because I don't, I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner, student, enthusiast, and like cheerleader of, because that path will help you form the shapes for your body that 
is what some call yoga, especially if you do have a devotional practice. Like if you're devoted, if you have that kind of deep reverence and, you know, I don't, it's just to me, you can't take it out of it at this point. It's not just to me, that's the tradition. And I want to honor the tradition. And if I'm not going to honor the tradition, let's be clear about what we're calling things. So, um, okay. So that's kind of the history, um, as we see it. And so how do we kind of evolve from that? Let's have, here's some ideas. Let's have fewer people in classes. So we or in, in relationships, we can have these kind of relationships where I know what's happening in your body, mind, spirit, and we're working with that with foods and herbs and spices and body shapes and time in nature and journaling, you know, all of the other aspects of lifestyle really are part of our yogic practices. Um, again, as they have that deep reverence for, um, the divine. Another thing that a lot of us are doing is just like, I teach now or share practices called embody that's the name of like the, the movement practices in our Lola community and body. And we use music and breath and just in, intuition really to move in our body. If we don't want to do all the Ayurvedic, you know, lifestyle practices and work with the elements and what dosha is out of balance, we can literally just put on a song or be in silence and breathe and just stretch and move. And it can just be that we don't have to talk about the divine. We don't have to get all spiritual, but it's not yoga. Then it's just intuitive movement or somatic, um, pleasure, or again, whatever we can call it, all of these other things that just stretching, <laughs> stretching and breathing, um, you know, intuitive movement, that kind of thing, embodiment integration. But if we're not talking about divine and union and, sacred connection, um, then it's not yoga. So that's great. We just, let's just not call it that. And then again, because people in our society have now have this narrative and this picture of what yoga is and talk about wanting to do it or not do it. And what they're talking about so much is the physical practice. And what I'm encouraging us to do is move beyond that conversation to something a little bit more deeper and profound, especially because we can now it's been mainstream enough that we don't have to be within that box that is out of alignment of what the practices and the teachings and the, and the wisdom really is. Also because, you know, Ayurveda is life wisdom and yoga practices are really about, it's a life path for mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health. And so again, if you're kind of aligning towards that or you're turning your life in that kind of direction, um, to just do physical fitness is great. Um, but there will be aspects that are missing from the holistic view, from the totality of our experience of human beings, right? We have our human physical form and we have our beingness, which is part of the great mystery. So, um, I'm really wanting to have deeper and more meaningful conversations about language. Okay. Next thing we have to talk about is abuse. And since this is a history lesson, again, I think it's really important to do your homework about whatever lineage you're thinking about joining or signing up for a teacher training with. I have talked, I think five or six people this year out of doing a teacher training. 
Um, for all the kind of these reasons I'm mentioning, like who are the teachers? How much are they charging? How much one-on-one -on -one time do you have? What's the integrity of the teacher? What's the rest of the lifestyle practice? What's the Ayurvedic lens? If, they're, if there's a yoga teacher training and they're not talking about Ayurveda as the foundation and or the bigger picture of it, like I don't, I don't get how to do that in, in integrity, in alignment with reverence at this stage of the game, knowing what we know, knowing about all of the physical practice teachers who had so many health issues, hip replacements, shoulder replacements, because of the repetitive, aggressive nature of many of these practices, that's just not sustainable long-term. So, um, the abuse thing is real and in pretty much every lineage of any mainstream yoga practice that's here in the West now from Anusara to Bikram to Ashtanga to para yoga, all of these have men at the uh, in some of the traditions, it's not necessarily abuse. It's much more like inappropriate sexual relations with students um, is what it's been called or defined as. And again, as a woman, I really value integrity and honesty in my life, and I will not contribute to monetary wealth or accumulation of systems of oppression or abuse. So also within meditation, Buddhist meditation communities, um, I've had to leave for similar reasons. And at this point within the yoga tradition and lineage, there's almost no one that isn't tainted. And so like, what do we do with that question mark? And I'm in that liminal space of it. Like, you know, I think because this, this has kind of been exposed over the past few years, ah, Kundalini, um, also, I, I mean, just literally every single one. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to list all of them because, but if you know a lineage that doesn't have it, isn't rooted. I mean, Spasta, which is the Mohans, AJ and Indran Mohan, who used to come to our studio. I love their books. They teach Ayurveda first and Ayurveda informing your yoga practice. They were students of, um, you know, a, they're just wonderful, wonderful teachers. And I have not heard of either of them being abusive or in a system of oppression within their students. But again, like this is kind of a nuanced conversation that is probably, um, I don't know, I'd just rather have in real life than like on this history lesson. But my point is that there's something not quite right within the model there's something that's not sitting well with me within the model of this tradition as we currently see it and know it around sexuality, around patriarchy and or male dominated leadership and or power and how it's then used inappropriately for sexual abuse or relationship. And it's something I'm thinking a lot about. It's something I'm doing some research on in my own Jewish tradition. And in Judaism, we have, um, in the path of Judaism that I'm studying in and that I um, am doing some research on, there's a lot about sexuality as like um, 
as a commandment, as something that you you're supposed to do. It's included into our teachings that, that there are sexual relations and, um, I'm kind of researching like, well, what about the lineages of that, of abuse and oppression within systems, wisdom traditions and spiritual traditions that value sexuality and allow it to be part of the conversation. Because a lot of times in the uh, Buddhist communities I was in and the yoga communities I was in, um, most of the talk was about purity and clarity and clearing your no desires, you know, clearing yourself out for that. Now I did spend some time in a, in a tantric tantric community that was really feminine and sensual and really allowed for sexuality. So that was super refreshing. Um, and so I'm not saying that they don't exist. I'm just saying like, wow, I really noticed that when we put humans in these positions of like, this is what's right. And this is what's wrong. And this is what's pure and clean. And this is what's dirty that we end up with these really like dirty systems because behind the scenes, there's a lot of seems like congestion, confusion and, um, harm. So anyway, that's like not fully flush. So I apologize <laughs> if that's like a little confusing or not hundred percent evidence accurate. This is just what I've noticed. This is just what I'm kind of starting to research and, and wrap my head around and jot some notes down and try to find some research and evidence about these different traditions and like what happens with sexuality when we pull it out of the room and then what happens when we allow it to be part of our spiritual practice. Um, I think that's what I'm, I'm really interested in as I continue to give away books of people I know who have um, been abusive in some way or unsubscribe or, you know, kind of just keeping myself in deepest alignment with what I know to be, again, my current level of ignorance at this stage. So this was my history lesson. Um, I'm so curious how this lands, like, was any of this interesting? Is there anything you'd like to know more about? Um, would you like to have a conversation about it? I would love to have a conversation about it. Um, and yeah, I just, I want to keep talking about sort of how masculine and feminine, like divine masculine and divine feminine, and also toxic masculine and toxic feminine show up within these rooms and within these traditions and kind of how to parse out like wisdom tradition, teacher teachings. Like, do we throw out the teacher, but keep the teachings um, how does that inter interface with cancel culture? How do we work with forgiveness with these abusive systems? And how do we stay in deepest alignment and integrity with our own current practices, um, whether they be just for fitness or for something spiritual or more, um, more on the devotional side. But anyway, these are just, um, Whew, there's so much more. So I want to just close with, you know, this at the end of the conversation and with the guy basically said everything I just said to you, except I think it went on for much longer. He was really quiet the whole time. And I was like, um, sorry, I just kind of went on a rampage. And he was like, wow, I didn't know any of that. He's like, that makes so much sense. And he's like, I can't believe 
what we've done to it. You know, he was like, I can't believe sounds like it's just, we really commercialized all of it. And I'm like, yep. And, you know, I think one of the things I said to him at the end was if it had worked, meaning if our society was the healthiest, happiest, calmest, most caring, compassionate, peaceful, active, engaged, alive, vibrant, energetic, loving people. Like if we were using these yogic practices and becoming these amazing engaged healers, you know, Ayurveda is so much about self-healing yoga practice on your own with your own breath and your own body is so much about self-healing. Um, I said, I would be quiet if that was the case. The problem is I now have a lot of people in my life at this stage of life who are really, 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 really unhappy, deeply unhappy, not well mentally, not well physically, suffering with their own meaning and purpose, no connection to divinity, no connection to source, no connection to spirit. It's so disconnected. And they've been practicing yoga or meditating or, you know, whatever it is for how many years. And they're spinning in circles, trying to feel better. And that's, painful because that I can see from the sort of sociological lens as a direct result of the way that we have used these practices. We talked about and commercialized these practices as it will lead you to enlightenment. It will, it will lead you to peace or yoga equals healthy or all of this kind of jargon talk about yoga meditation as being like the end all be all is like, yeah, but without the foundation of the bigger, larger system, which is lifestyle, which is Ayurvedic practices and elemental healing and ancestral reverence, which happens in Ayurveda, which means finding, you know, really deeply honoring your ancestors, um, I, you know, it's, you're going to be in circles. And that's what I'm seeing is people trying so hard to get better. And yet what they're being fed in mainstream classes or online or with teachers is very far from that relationship. And I'm one who likes to, you know, kind of problem solve and share these things and, and, and really ask a lot of questions. And so this is my way of doing that is kind of like publicly just saying, like, here's a bunch of the issues. I think we need to take it down a notch, build relationships, um, really understand what the system is and what are the other related systems, right? Yoga, Ayurveda, and, um, and, and be willing and open to see that the spiritual aspect and being spiritually anorexic, which is what so many people are, um, is, is painful, does cause suffering to see ourselves separate from this like incredible, these leaves and trees out here um, is painful and leads to suffering. And with a consistent practice and support from a teacher and the realization that we're interconnected and really are the breath and the body and the elements inside of us are represented in nature. And now here I belong 
we belong, we belong together, nature and human, you know, it's a totally different approach to finding yourself in the world at an existential time, which I think post COVID and just kind of mid age, which is a lot of the, you know, that's my age. And so that's a lot of the age of the people I work with. So, um, I am grateful for you listening and being part of the conversation. And I hope that we can continue it.